following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. Unbelievers deny its existence. The uninformed believer doubts its reality. It's been called cruel, inhumane, barbarous. There are actually people who will mock you for believing that it's true. It seems too harsh, a punishment for merely failing to believe. But the reality of hell stares at us from the pages of Scripture. For most, it's like a rabid dog we want to avoid. Or it's a crazy person we're trying to steer clear of. Hell is a topic that most people avoid talking about. And a place that we rarely consider as the eternity for most of humanity. So do Christians have to believe in hell? Yes or no? Yes, they do. Our Savior Jesus Christ teaches more about hell than any other author in the New Testament. If you're born again, if you follow Christ, if you believe in the Scripture, if you're going to heaven, then you must believe in a literal, physical, eternal hell for those without Christ. Take a look at your outline. Point number one is all genuine Christians believe in hell. All genuine Christians believe in hell. There is eternal punishment. Why? Let me give you some reasons. First, because the Bible teaches a literal hell. Uh, this morning I want you to hear lots of Scripture because I want you to understand that this is what the Bible teaches. I want you to see hell as a biblical truth. I want the Spirit of God to use the Word of God to embrace the truth of God about the hell of God for all unbelievers. And what you have is Jesus teaching a future forever torment for those without Christ. Take a look at Luke 16, 22. The rich man died and was buried, and in Hades he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, I have mercy on me, please. Uh, send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue for I am in agony in this flame. Parable or not, Luke 16, our Lord clearly points to a future eternal torment with flames. But if you have doubts about this passage, our loving and gracious and merciful Savior makes certain that you know that He believes in a place of forever punishment. He does. And he urges you not to go there at all costs with these words. Matthew chapter 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Matthew 25, 41. Then he will also say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. The rest of the New Testament agrees with our Lord Jesus Christ. There are only two places of eternal destination, and the one 
that you do not want to end up in is hell. Revelation 20, verse 15, if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into what? The lake of fire. Thessalonians 2nd, chapter 1, verse 7, uh, the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to who? To those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. I'm not sure if you came from another theological persuasion, but this message, this verse declares that will only be those who put their whole trust in Christ, not in any other faith, not in any other religion. If you believe the Bible, if you trust the scriptures, as God's never wrong word, if you cling to Christ as the way, the truth, and the life, then you must believe in a physical, literal place of forever torment where most people will go to spend eternity. The Bible teaches hell is a real place, and all non-Christians go there after death. Why must you believe in hell? Well, secondly, because God's character demands it. God's character demands a hell. Look at his character for a minute. Some of you might even appeal to the love of God. So even the love of God demands hell. Do you understand that? Even God of love demands that. You say, how is that? Think about it. True biblical love cannot act coercively, only persuasively. God would never force his creation to worship him. So those who ultimately desire not to love God must be allowed to stay distant. Those who choose not to submit to Christ must be allowed to stay distant from Him. Those who do not wish to be with Christ forever will experience eternal separation and abandonment. There will be one day no more wooing by the Spirit of God, no more opportunity to repent of your sins, only a final confirmation of their decision to reject Christ. Love requires those who reject Christ to be allowed to. That's love. There are two kinds of people. Those who say to God, Thy will be done. And those to whom God says, Thy will be done. Forcing people to go to heaven against their will would turn heaven into hell. God's justice also insists on hell. You intrinsically know that when a policeman rescues children, justice demands a reward. And when a criminal murders a child, justice requires a punishment. You know that, intrinsically. God's justice also demands a reward for good and a punishment for evil. Now catch this. Because the Lord has chosen not to finalize judgment in this life. He's chosen not to finalize judgment in this life. We live on a planet then where injustice reigns, both in reward for good and punishment for evil. Every single human being, saved and unsaved, has committed sin, has done evil. We have missed God's perfect plan and perfect character 
And we have, every one of us in this room, intentionally violated God's law. We have. It is correct to say that this life is not fair. That is correct. But with this twist, if life were fair, every person alive right now would be in hell. In hell. Punished for those sins. That would be just. That would be just. The reason you believers are so thankful is because He first loved us. Amen? That saved His children. And Christians don't receive justice. We receive mercy. Mercy. The reason why Christ followers can be thankful on their worst day on planet earth is that any day on planet earth is a day that you're not in hell and any day not in hell is a pretty good day in the future god has determined two places to accomplish his justice one for reward for goodness and the other for the punishment of sin god's justice demands hell thirdly in your outline why must you believe in hell thirdly because the cross presupposes hell the cross, because the cross is the center of Christianity, the cross is the means of salvation. You know our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, God incarnate, endured great physical suffering on the cross, but far greater, all the punishment of all of God's wrath for the sins of His children was poured out on Christ, on the cross. I call it a dirty agony. You say, why dirty? Because the perfect, righteous, sinless God, Christ, God the Son, bore our sin and suffered the wrath that you deserve for all eternity. He became sin for us. That's why it was a dirty agony. But if there's no hell, then why did Jesus die? If there's no hell, the pain and suffering and ultimate death of the cross is completely wasteful. There is no significance to the cross of Christ if there's no eternal punishment and no separation from God. As difficult as it is to comprehend, Jesus taught, Christ's character demands, and the work of the cross requires an eternal hell for those who do not follow Christ. Listen, friend, it is better for you to prepare now to avoid hell and then find out it doesn't exist than to find out it does exist when you're not prepared for it. So, what are the details of hell? What are the details? Well, hell is a real place. Point number two in your outline, the details of hell. It is called by different names, and it has different parts to it, at least a few. But it is a place designed for the eternal torment of Christ rejectors. Matthew 25, 30, cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Luke 16, 28. Lest they also come to this place of what? Torment. Now what are the terms that the Bible uses to describe hell? Sheol is one of them. Psalm 139, verse 8. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there as well. It's incredible but his theology, and John MacArthur, it's called Bible Doctrine, he says, quote, the Hebrew term Sheol is found 65 times in the Old Testament. 
Depending on the context, the term is translated as grave, pit, or hell. In general, Sheol refers to the abode of the dead, end quote. Whether saved or unsaved, Sheol was the place of the dead. Another term that describes hell is Tartarus. Tartarus, and it's used infrequently, once in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. The phrase, cast them into hell, is kind of misleading there. This is not talking about hell here. It's not talking about Gehenna or Hades. This is the place in hell where fallen angels were sent. Fallen angels were sent. The lowest part of hell, the deepest pit, and the most terrible place of torture. Probably called also, which is another term, the abyss. The abyss, another name for Tartarus, it is the prison for fallen angels that halts them from having any access to planet earth or any influence on planet earth. And Jesus was about to cast out demons from a man in Luke chapter 8 verse 31. And the demons responded this way, listen to what they said. They were imploring him, Jesus, not to command them to go away into the abyss. Revelation 9 and Revelation 20 mentioned the abyss as the place where demons were released from during the tribulation that's coming to torment humanity. And at Revelation 20, ultimately, Satan himself will be locked up into the abyss after the second coming of Christ. And then once incarcerated there, the abyss will actually be sealed and shut over him so Satan cannot deceive the nations for a thousand years. The other term that you may be familiar with about hell is called Hades. Hades. Before the second coming of Christ, before the resurrection of the dead, all unbelievers at death immediately experience conscious torment in a place called Hades. When your unsaved family or friends die right now, they go to Hades. Hades. In the Old Testament, Sometimes Hades was used interchangeably with Sheol as the place of the dead. But in the New Testament, Hades is always, always referring to the temporary place for the conscious torment of the non-Christians. The most explicit explanation or discussion of Hades is found in Luke 16. Some think it's a parable. Some think it is not a parable, a real-life situation. It describes the rich man and Lazarus. And it says, in Hades, the rich man lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and he said, I am in agony in these flames. The rich man retained his memory. He knew, he recalled Lazarus, he recalled his five brothers, and the rich man fully knew that his presence in Hades was deserved. He knew that. And Jesus told us, the people of his day will end up in Hades, Matthew 11 23 in your outline, you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to where? Hades. But Hades, one day, the place itself, will be emptied. All those who are in it will face final judgment at that time. The place, Hades, and all who were in it will be then thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire and Hades are different. We know that from Revelation chapter 20, verse 13 and 14. Death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. 
they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds, then Hades and death were what? Thrown into the lake of fire. Hell, the lake of fire, is not yet open for business. Yet. But Hades is. The moment an unbeliever dies, he or she will find themselves in a place of continual torment called Hades. So what about hell? Well, look at the term Gehenna. Gehenna, there's no question the Bible presents the eternal reality of hell, the lake of fire. This is defined by the term Gehenna. It's a real place of fiery torment for the unrepentant that lasts forever. Forever. Of the 12 references to Gehenna in your Bible, the majority of them came from our Savior's own mouth, 11 of them, and the loving, gracious, merciful Lord Jesus Christ believed in hell. He says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 22, whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into fiery hell. Matthew 23, 33, you serpents, how will you escape the sentence of hell, Gehenna? Mark chapter 9, verse 43, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than having two hands to go into hell, into the unquenchable fire. He uses that parable to show us the seriousness and the severity of eternal judgment in hell. Jesus uses the term Gehenna here. This term comes from the valley of Hinnom, Gehinnom, Gehenna, literally of Hinnom, of Hinnom, the valley with a horrible history. It's like a horror movie and a disgusting use. More on that as we conclude this morning. Hell is not a far side comic. That's right. Hell is not a joke. Hell is not a place you can hang out with your friends. Hell is not a place where Satan rules with a pitchfork. He will be in eternal torment in hell. He will suffer. Revelation 20 verse 15, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. No matter how many names are used to describe hell or what parts of hell are highlighted, Hell is still a place of fiery torment for the unrepentant that lasts forever. Number three, death is the doorway to hell. Death. Once you die, you are headed for the torment in Hades or the blessings of heaven. There are only two options. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 declares, It is appointed for men to die once and after this comes judgment. Every single one of you will die once, unless raptured. And every one of you, saved and unsaved, will experience a resurrection. Let me say it again. Every single one of us, saved and unsaved, will be resurrected from the dead. A restoration of a form of physical life forever. Everyone. Maybe you didn't know it. Saved and unsaved are resurrected. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2 Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. Those to everlasting life put to others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. John 5, 29, come forth those who have done good to the resurrection of life. Those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. The Bible's clear. Those in Christ 
and those not in Christ will be resurrected and given an eternal body. The body uh, the lost received is suited to experience the eternal lake of fire. Remember, there are three types of death. There's physical death, which is the separation of the immaterial part of you from the material part of you. That's what it is. There's spiritual death, which is the separation of the created being from the Creator. Ephesians 2, verse 1, you were dead or separated in your trespasses and sins. And then there is eternal death, which is the final permanent separation of an unsaved person from God forever. Revelation again, verse, chapter 20, verse 14, this is the second death, the lake of fire. Death is separation. The phrase second death is used four times in Scripture, second death, and is another term used for eternal death. It is a living death. You say there's no such thing. My friends, every one of you know that those not in Christ are spiritually dead. They're living, but they're dead, meaning separated. They have a living death. And death is the same as, the second death is the same as eternal death. People will exist in an eternal body, which will live forever in a form of death. The second death does not cause people to cease to exist. No, it is just the opposite. This eternal second death is a kind of death which involves everlasting ruin, punishment for sin, and separation from God's blessed presence forever. Did you catch that? It is an eternal second death which is everlasting ruin, punishment for sin, eternal punishment for sin, and separation from God's blessed presence forever. And this second death awaits all who physically die while being spiritually dead, spiritually separated from Christ. Only those who are delivered by the gracious salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ escape eternal second death. Revelation chapter 20, verse 6, Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has what? No power. No power. This eternal second death is the final permanent separation of an unsaved person from God. The doorway to this living eternal torment is your physical death. Your physical death, which means you must listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. What does it say? Behold, now is the acceptable time. Not later today. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of what? Now, listen, if you're a non-Christian here and some of your family and friends sometimes shake you and it looks like they're, they're going crazy because you're not responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's a reason for that. They know by faith what awaits you. So understand what will hell be like? What do the unredeemed wicked experience in hell? Number four in your outline, the experience of hell is torment. It's torment. There will be physical suffering in a resurrected eternal body. Who for? Truly those who lived wickedly on this earth. 
but also for anyone and everyone who rejected Jesus Christ and those who thought they were saved but practiced lawlessness as a way of life. And they will be all punished in torment and exist eternally under the weight of the wrath of God. Those who were even Christians in name only will also experience eternal torment. Just calling the name doesn't make you born again. It's repentance from sin. It's causing Christ, in a sense, the Spirit of God to then dwell in you and through you. It's making you into a new person that makes you ready for heaven. Matthew 25, verse 46, these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous to what? And who makes you righteous? Jesus Christ. Punishment means pain, toil, torment, and loss. Revelation chapter 14, verse 11, the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. Torment is also translated torture, literally a state of great suffering and distress. Revelation 14, verse 10, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone. Indignation is bigger than anger. It is an anger that has been brewing for a long time, resulting in the punitive outworking of God's righteous hatred for sin. God will physically punish, and the pain will be real, righteous, and forever. And along with physical suffering, there will be spiritual, emotional suffering as well in hell, like weeping and gnashing of teeth. Listen to how the Jewish leaders responded to Stephen with their teeth. Acts chapter 7, verse 51 to 56. Maybe you want to turn there. It says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed their teeth at them. They gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, Stephen did, and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. What do some of you do at night which concerns your dentist? You grind your, that's right, grind your teeth. The Jews were convicted, but instead of repentance, they responded in violent anger. They gnashed their teeth. Gnashed them. That means they bit down and gnashed them. They were so angry, so out of control. That that's all they could do. Exposing their sin for all to see. And they react emotionally and violently by clenching their teeth together in anger. Like, like a dog, hair up, ready to bite. That's their response to Stephen's appeal to the gospel. Their anger is so intense, they're clenching their teeth. They're grinding their teeth. Their hatred of God will be so fully manifested that all Christ rejectors 
will do for all eternity. Matthew chapter 13, verse 42, will cast them into the furnace of fire and they'll be wailing and what? Gnashing of teeth. Plus, they will experience outer darkness. Matthew chapter 8, verse 12, the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. Matthew chapter 25, verse 30, cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. Those without Christ will be forced into darkness. Darkness, the sphere that is dominated by evil, sinfulness, and ignorance of God and His ways, clearly marked by the absence of light. They will also be punished by a condemning conscience. A condemning conscience. Salvation in Christ offers us deliverance from the dirty, evil, accusing conscience. But those who suffer in hell will have no such freedom from guilt. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14 speaks of cleansing your conscience. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 22, an evil conscience. Romans chapter 2 verse 15, an accusing conscience. The painful burning of hell may include horrific accusations of conscience for eternity. And all the sad words of tongue or pen, the saddest are these, it might have been. Horrific accusations of conscience. For all eternity, the pain of regret for indifference or for rejection of Christ or for pretending and never submitting to Christ. Maybe the darkness of hell is also a part of what you see in this process of what they'll suffer. Let's say literal pointing a picture of exclusion from light, the light of God's presence forever, eternal loneliness, suffering under complete hopelessness. The lost are without hope. It is difficult to imagine the hopelessness they will experience in eternity without Christ. Hell is not a place you want to go. Remember, it is not a matter of how bad you are. It is a matter of whose righteousness you wear. If you're wearing your own righteousness, you're bound for hell. If you're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, nothing can stop you from going to heaven. Nothing. Christ is perfect. And when He saved you, He covered you in His righteousness. You're clothed in His perfection, not your own. And you became perfect in God's eyes. You say, I don't deserve that. You betcha. And either do I. But he does. He gives you then also not the right clothes to wear, not just that. He gives you a right heart that seeks to live up to those clothes. A right heart that desires his righteousness. It's called being born again, given a new heart. But what about the people who were and are really evil? What about those people who are, you know, obviously those who are rebelling against God? They are punished differently, are they? Are they punished differently? Yes, they are. They are. There are degrees of punishment in hell. All will suffer greatly in hell, but those who live more wickedly on earth will suffer in greater torment in hell. There are degrees of punishment since the dead are judged by what they have done. Warlords, Hitlers, will burn hotter 
since there's judgment according to their deeds. On logical grounds, it demands grades and degrees of punishment. In fact, we see intimation of that in the scripture. Revelation chapter 18, verses 7 and 8. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure gave her torment and sorrow, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. Romans chapter 2, verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up what? Wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Matthew eleven twenty two and following. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidron in the day of judgment than for you. Luke chapter 20. Who devour widows' houses and for appearance sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater what? Greater condemnation. Jesus measures out wickedness and people store up wrath and judgment will be easier for some while others receive greater condemnation. There are degrees of punishment. In fact, Wayne Grudem says, quote, every wrong deed done will be remembered and taken into account in the punishment that is meted out, end quote. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 declares, every careless word that people speak they shall give an account for it in the day of judgment. Every word spoken will be brought to light and judged. Every word. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 14. God will bring every act into what? Judgment. Everything is, which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Even the things that no one knows about. In Romans chapter 2 verse 16, Paul speaks of a day when he says, According to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men... Through Jesus Christ. And Jesus is even more specific in Luke chapter 12 verse 2. There is nothing covered up that will not be what? Revealed. And hidden that will not be what? Known. It will all be exposed accordingly. Whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in your inner rooms will be proclaimed from the... Wow. Those who do not respond find themselves in the scariest place ever. Those who do great evil will suffer greater torment than those who don't. But every sin, every word, every thought, every motive will be judged. And only those covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ will satisfy the righteous judge. A Christian's deeds can be acceptable because the Holy Spirit can empower a believer to serve to the glory of God. But a non-Christian deeds are like filthy rags and can never be accepted to God no matter how nice and no matter how noble. You say, well then Chris, how long is eternal punishment? Number five, the duration of hell is forever. Forever. The Lord Jesus in His Word speaks of eternal salvation eternal redemption he talks about he will live forever and they will reign forever and ever those are the very same expressions used by scripture to describe everlasting duration of punishment of the unsaved as well how long will the suffering last are you ready it never ever 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 ends never it's eternal. Matthew chapter 25, verse 46. And these will go away into everlasting punishment. Everlasting 
punishment. Revelation 14, 11, And the smoke of their torrent, torment ascends forever and ever, and they will have no rest day or night. Mark chapter 9, verse 43 through 48, If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed rather than to go have two hands and go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And when the Bible says never, you know what it means? Thank you very much. The scripture emphasizes that hell is eternal. Hell is forever. It is everlasting. There are some who try to teach universalism, that somehow everyone will be saved. But Jesus says some sins... Matthew chapter 12, verse 32, will not be forgiven him either in this age or in the age to come. Others believe in annihilationism, that somehow you just go out of existence after you die. They say that a few verses describe eternal punishment as destruction, like Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to, what, destroy both the soul and the body in hell. But the word destroy there does not mean to annihilate. It means to ruin. And 2 Thessalonians 1.9 declares the truth by calling the destruction everlasting. It says, these shall be punished with everlasting what? Destruction. It never stops. Some believe in purgatory, that those in hell will somehow get a second chance, that those who are alive can somehow help them get out of purgatory. But God's Word says in Hebrews 9.27, we already looked at it, as is appointed for men to die, how many times? Once, and after this comes judgment. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 makes certain you know that those who die without Christ, quote, have no, what? There's no hope. The truth is hell is eternal forever and everlasting torment. Number six then, the only rescue from hell is found in Christ is found in Christ. When God became a man, Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, and then he offered himself as a substitute on the cross to suffer and die for the sins of his children. His was a perfect life and a perfect sacrifice. Being God, his death could, could satisfy the Father. Being man, his death could be in your place and my place. But at what cost? Christ literally experienced all the torments of hell on the cross when he bore my sin, when he bore your sin. Not only every one of your sins, past, present, and future, but all the wrath that you deserved for all eternity upon himself. It was poured out on Christ on your behalf. The only way God the Father could be satisfied was for Christ to suffer your hell in its fullness. And Christ bore that forever wrath for sin for every one of His chosen children who has ever lived all of it upon Himself. Now you can begin to understand when He said, My God, My God. Why hast thou forsaken me? Now you understand why he prayed, My Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass 
Nevertheless, not I will, but as you will. When someone says, hell is unjust, just point them to the sacrifice of the perfect Son of God. Our Lord Jesus Christ bore the wrath of your eternal hell so you would not have to. That's what God did for you. The highest price has been paid. God loved you enough to provide one way of escape. To turn from your sins and depend on Christ by faith by putting your life and all your hope in Christ alone. Hell is happening. Hell is real. Do not play with your eternity. If you're new with us, stop messing around. Hell is not a game. It's real and it's forever. So take this home. A study of hell from the scripture will expose you. It'll expose you. It'll expose a weak view of sin. It'll expose a low view of God. It'll expose any issue you have with the exclusivity of the gospel. It is only through Christ. A study of hell, secondly, will, from the scriptures will change you. It'll change you. Hell will change your motivation from being unconcerned to unsurpassed. All of a sudden you realize just how serious this is. Hell will change your mouth from being silent to sharing. You'll start speaking more when you realize hell is real. Hell will change your hands from dabbling to doing. You'll all of a sudden realize this isn't a game. This is eternal stakes. Hell will change your wallet from grudging to giving because you'll want to advance the message of Christ. You'll want people to hear the message. You'll feel the responsibility to tell them and to make sure others are sent to tell them. And he'll, hell will change your heart from unsure to unstoppable. Going, I, I, I have to stand for Christ. I have to live for his glory. I have to make him known. And then a study of hell from the scripture will demand of you. Hell will demand you embrace the gospel. That submission to Christ is your only hope. It demands that. Hell will demand that you grow in fear of God and not fear of man. We're always so intimidated by people. And boy, when you begin to understand hell, you'll go, I only fear God. I don't fear anything that man could do. And then hell will demand that you follow Christ by living a fruitful lifestyle which is assured of salvation. Assured of salvation. Living a life where it is so obvious that you're in Christ that you and no one else would ever doubt that you're His. That Christ manifests Himself through you. Would you just for a moment please bow your heads and close your eyes and allow me to continue to describe hell. I want to give you a picture and let the reality of hell transform you. The Valley of Hinnom where the term Gehenna, hell, the lake of fire, gets its meaning from. Its history is one of horror. The picture it paints is one of terror. And its concurrent use is to bring one to disgust. I used to walk across the valley every day for almost a month at my first stay in Israel. 
It is an extremely deep ravine on the southeast side of the old walled city of Jerusalem. It was there in the Hinnom Valley, where Gehenna gets its name, during the time of the apostate kings Ahaz and Manasseh, who were following the sick, demon-generated cult practices of the Syrian religion of Moloch, the fire god, is where they would then take newborn infants and burn them alive in fire. Before idols and altars, they would cause these children to pass through fire. It meant they would pass through to the next life, burning little babies alive in fire. They would watch them roast as a sick act of worship to a pagan god. That's the Valley of Hinnom. In New Testament times, Israel had been cured of that idolatry, so they ended up using the Valley of Hinnom as the city dump. It was a defiled gully where the burning trash, refuse, and waste fires never went out. It was the place where the corpses of animals, dead criminals, and unclaimed poor were tossed and burned. The fires never stopped burning. Its filth was never stopped wrenching. And the image that it painted was the image of Gehenna, of Hinnom, the image of hell. They picked the worst place on earth to describe the eternal place of torment for all who are without Christ. Hell is real. On the basis of God's never wrong word, the teaching of Christ himself, on the basis of the very character of the loving, just, holy, wrathful God, those without Christ will remain in torment for all eternity because of their rebellious sin. Don't go there. Make sure you don't go there. Christ is your only escape. He is your only hope. Cry out for Him to save you. And Christians, make sure that it is Christ through you that He evidences Himself by you following Him, by you obeying Him, by you loving Him, turning from your sin, turning from this world, turning from even your own desires of flesh and depending on Him by faith and trusting Him to bring you to salvation, eternal life, and abundant life now. Heavenly Father, we pray now that as we wrap up this time, we ask that You would be glorified with our response. Father, that we would be those who understand the reality of eternal torment. And God, that you would glorify yourself by calling some to yourself, by, by cracking through their hardness of heart and showing them their desperate need to turn to you now. And for the rest of us, that our zeal would intensify and our passion to be reaching those around us who don't know you would be ever stronger. And we'll give you all the glory for what you'll do. Thank you again for your incredible mercy and grace. 
that rescued us from that place. We don't deserve it, but we are thankful. And we honor you now with our worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.